Welcome to the Change Management Review Podcast, where we bring the best of change management to you. On this episode, Teresa Moulton speaks with Melanie Franklin, co-chair of the Change Management Institute UK, director of Agile Change Management, and a respected author on the topic of Agile Change Management. I'm sure you'll enjoy their discussion today. Welcome to the Change Management Review Podcast. Today we have a really interesting guest, Melanie Franklin of Agile Change Management in the UK. And she is gonna talk with you about Agile Change Management and Agile Agility and help to demystify some of the uh, concepts and confusions we have with what it actually is and how it shows up in the work that we do. I'm gonna go ahead and uh, tell you a little bit about Melanie. Uh, Melanie provides C-suite advisory services specializing in cultural change with some specific emphasis on building the internal capability of organizations to plan and lead change initiatives. This work begins with strategic planning of the cultural shift required and practical identification of the staff engagement, training and support needed to make this a reality. These cultural shifts have many descriptions, including creating agility and digital transformation. However, what they all have in common is the an ability for staff to feel that change is part of their role and that they have the motivation to lead the change in their sphere of influence. Melanie has delivered these assignments across the private, public, and third sectors. Her clients include in the public sector, the House of Commons, the House of Lords, the Welsh Government, Department of Education, local authorities across the UK, and the European Medicines Agency. In the private sector, she's worked with the Saudi Electricity Company, National Grid US, Zane Communications, and FIFA. And in the third sector, uh, NGO, She's worked with UN Ops, British Red Cross, and the Stroke Association. She is the co-chair of the Change Management Institute UK and is, respe is a respected author of textbooks and articles on change project and program management. Melanie is also an examiner responsible for assurance of the work of a team of examiners creating professional qualifications in change management. Melanie is highly respected in her field and is sought out by many organizations all over the world who need support in creating their strategy and plans for managing change. Melanie is a talented communicator and has a reputation for delivering complex information with humor and passion. She draws on her wealth of practical experience to illustrate concepts and to engage her audience in lively debates on advantages and disadvantages of each approach that she outlines. And I personally have read Melanie's book and I have to say it is phenomenal. Um, and I'm so you know, appreciative of her taking the time to join us today. So Melanie, without further ado, uh, welcome to the Change Management Review podcast show. Thank you. I think we're about to test out whether or not I'm a talented communicator, whether or not I can make this an interesting session. <laughs> Well, we're happy to give it a go, and I'm sure it's going to be awesome. Um, so we wanted to just start off with a question, uh, Melanie. If you could just tell us a little bit about how you got into the field of change management. We're asking this question of all of our guests because, as you know, there's no real straight line into the profession. 
Now, I came up through the profession through the project management route because um, when I was in my early 20s, I was a business analyst. Um, I then moved across to moving, uh, managing projects and then managing multiple projects as a program manager. Um, I ended up as global head of project and program management for several organizations in my 30s um, before I then uh, took on the CEO role of a training and consultancy company. Um, what really interested me was the shift, um, certainly in the last 10 to 15 years, away from, hey, we just do delivery to a recognition, although change management hasn't always been the term for it, but a recognition that there are things that we need to do um, that will get us to the benefits. The thing is, going live on a new IT system doesn't get the benefits. It's when people start using the system. And that recognition that maybe there was something in there, there was a gap, a space. In the UK, we had a, a waterfall project management methodology called PRINCE2 um, that was all about getting over the line, getting delivery done. The same organisation, the, the UK Cabinet Office that owned that material, then started to look at how do we talk about running multiple projects, which was program management. And as a program manager at the time, I was very interested in the techs they were putting together. And that's when we started to talk about, well, what about transition? And that was the first time really that we started to talk about the word transitioning from old to new ways of working. And um, the textbook that they put together on program management sort of listed all the things that needed to be done. But I was really pleased when the exam board in the UK, the APMG International, came up with a qualification on change management, which I still teach today, although it's been refreshed in content many times. But I loved the fact that they actually recognised that there is a, a set of principles, there is a management discipline to actually helping people move from one world of work to another. And all of that behavioural change, uh, the psychology, uh, the neuroscience behind it, I found just really interesting and so much harder than project management. Because with project management, I can take an idea, I can disassemble it, work out how to plan to, to deliver it, uh, and I can give you a pretty good plan of what I'm going to do, and then I get on and do it. But of course, with transition, we're talking about individuals deciding for themselves, yeah, okay, I'm going to give that a go. And all of the anxiety around abandoning their old ways of working and their old safety, and all of the practice and encouragement they need for the practice to learn the new skills, learn the new processes and, and develop new habits. And I find it fascinating every time to see some people really pick up and run with it and other people really struggling and everybody in between that we've got to help. So I, I really love my job. I find it so interesting. That's phenomenal. I think one of the things that is so important for change practitioners is to have some motivational encouragement because the job is so hard and listening to you come at it from that perspective and with such an upbeat um, demeanor is phenomenal for all of us. Uh, so I really applaud that and thank you for it. 
Well, I think it is really important because I think the School of Positive Psychology does teach us that perhaps the human brain is wired to look for risk and therefore look for the negativity and it finds it more easily than it finds the, the, the positives. I absolutely love the TED talk that Alison Ledgerwood did from uh, UC Davis a few years ago on positive psychology. I recommend anybody to look it up. Uh, it's only 10 minutes of your life, but um, she's a compelling speaker, really entertaining. And I think I always keep what she says in mind. She's definitely the voice in my head, particularly when I'm talking to executives and say, really, you need to talk up this change. You need to encourage and you need to create an environment where people don't feel that in any way they're going to get blamed when productivity dips and mistakes go up when they are transitioning to a new way of working. Because every time we try something new as a human being, there's a very good chance that we're not going to get it perfect first time. If you create the impression that you're going to come down on them like a ton of bricks as soon as they try something new and it doesn't go great, then you've turned the tap off. There won't be a change because why would anybody dip their toe in that water if they think they're going to get criticised? So I do spend a lot of my time sort of trying to, to make sure that we are putting across not so such a jolly way that people don't find us authentic. But I think if, if you can't say anything good, don't say anything at all is a pretty good maxim to start with. Uh, if you're struggling and if you're as an executive, you're fearful that things aren't going well or you want to have a real yell. Well, as the executive coach, I'm happy to take those calls. But I'd rather you did it to me rather than to your staff. Get it out your system, have a vent and then go back and be positive on the job is something I spend my life doing, really. So I have people yelling down the phone at me quite a lot. <laughs> well, I think I think over here in the United States, one of the one of the phrases that will really take away from that comment is have a vent. That's fabulous. <laughs> get it out of your system. Get and it then, out of your I mean, I'm English, so I'm going to make a cup of tea. I'll listen to all the ranting that goes on and then we'll get back and start being normal again and uh, start being <laughs> encouraging. So it's fine. <laughs> That's fantastic. So just switching gears here a little bit, wanted to really get your opinion on what agile is. It's such a confusing topic in terms of what it actually is, what it means, and, and how it shows up in, in change management work. Well, I do think we have to start with the conversation, what does Agile mean? And because it means so many different things to different people. So I tend to break it down to, to different levels. First of all, in the boardroom, what do executives talk about when they're talking about Agile? And really, Agile for them is a perception that it's a, a mechanism of some kind for achieving change faster, and getting ideas to market ahead of the competition. Um, in the UK at the moment, design thinking has become a bit of a buzzword, which is an approach for encouraging innovation, which is also part of this whole idea of we're agile. But nobody really knows what that actually means. They, they've got this perception that there's some mechanism out there. And then right at the other end of the spectrum, you've got people who've absolutely got it nailed because what they think agile is, is they're coming from an IT development background, which is the home, really, of all the methodologies that we hear about uh, in Agile, um, for example, Scrum or Scaled Agile Framework, Dean Leffingwell's work, or Agile PM, for example, from uh, the Agile Business Consortium. They're all great ways of doing things, but they are all very much tied towards 
the IT development and the idea of a sprint, a couple of weeks of focus work followed by another sprint, followed by another sprint. So in the IT development world, what you can end up with is a, is a great sort of um, production line. It's very Henry Ford in that you get every couple of weeks, you get a delivery that can go live into your, your systems, that improvements, changes, fixes and new functionality. And therefore, what you've got is that very agile approach in that we're fast, we focus on achievement, uh, we're not worried about doing lots of reporting and lots of planning. Uh, we, we identify the key things we want to do this in this couple of weeks, we get them done, and then we move on to the next delivery. And I think somewhere between those two is this idea of perhaps agile initiatives, whether you call them an agile project or an agile change initiative. What they are is this this concept that we've got an idea and we want over time to iteratively roll out elements of it. So that's really your agile project part of things. And then the agile change piece is that to keep pace with that, to dovetail with every sort of delivery, every increment that you put across to your customers, you've got to be able to handhold them changing the way they do things. So every time we have these agile deliveries, whether it's an, an agile IT delivery or whether it's an agile restructuring, I'll restructure one team at a time. As I roll out that across the business, we have to have agile change management to do some handholding that partners with that delivery and make sure that the behavioral change piece is actually being done. I always liken it to as far as delivery versus sort of behavioral change is concerned, that when you buy a house, that's what the project piece is. That's the delivery piece. You can go to um, a real estate vendor, you identify the house you want, you arrange your financing and you purchase it and you do the paperwork with your lawyers and it's now yours. And that can all be scheduled and timed and that's rolled out one step after another. But of course, the change management piece is you are at the same time preparing to move house. You've got to notify all of your friends and relatives, but also all of your suppliers that you're changing, you know, your the telephone company and the, um, uh, the, the utility companies. You've got to tell them you're moving. You've got to start packing up everything that's, you know, in, in the garage and the, that's in the loft and that's in, in the bedrooms. And, and you've got to box up everything that's in the kitchen. And then when you've got your delivery, your new house, you've got to then start unpacking. And at the same time, You've got a, the emotional piece of saying goodbye to perhaps a, an area that you loved living in and all of the familiarity around the shops that you used to visit and, and the gym you used to go to and the bar on the corner. And you've got to get used to the new place you're living in and, and what's the commute to work and how long does it take me to drive to the doctors when I've got this new house? And that's the change management piece. And of course, there's no point delivering if you're not balancing that with the let's support people to prepare to live or to work in a new way. I think the issue with Agile is that what you've got, whether it's IT development or you're using Agile for marketing campaigns, restructuring, launching new products and services, that what you will have is a very regular structure of go live, that you'll have a regular delivery of new features and functions. If you don't get the change bit right, then what you've got is a lot of confused people because all they hear is, oh, that's gone live, that's gone live. Oh, and they get further and further behind. They can't catch up. 
And then all we've got is an organisation which has paid for a lot of delivery, but it's not being used. And we've got a bit of a backlog that's building up of things that haven't been utilised. And so we've made all this investment, but we're not seeing any improvement. And I think emotionally, that is extremely draining because none of us like to come in in the morning and think, oh, good grief, I've got to get used to that now. And oh, how's that working now? And where's that template gone? And why can't I link with that system? And if you're every day discovering things that you're not sure, it's as if the sand is shifting beneath your feet, the productivity just plunges. So I think in this agile world, it's great that we're getting earlier and quicker and more regular change out into the business and out into our direct customers. But it's put a much greater pressure, I think, on change professionals to say, hey, I've got to help. I've got to run faster. I've got to help the business even more now, because that's really what I think it feels like with agile change. Ah, that makes a lot of sense. And why do you think agile is so popular right now? I think for me, it comes down to I spend a lot of time in boardrooms and, and it's listening to the uncertainty. And I think the thing is, with a waterfall project, what we we'll do is we'll gather all of the requirements up front. And, and, and effectively, what we say is, this is what I want. This is the thing I want. And it's almost as if we've got a shopping list of those requirements. And so our more traditional approach is to knit them all together into some kind of very sensible plan with a logical sort of sequence. And, and we might create a Gantt chart to, to track that. We might go into um, Microsoft Project and write it all down. And you know we've all sat there, haven't we, looking at various tasks and going, oh, is that two days or is that three? Oh, I'll put it down <laughs> as three. You know, and we've all sat there, haven't we? And then we come to the very end and we go, oh, good grief. We won't be going live till 2021. Oh, I better go back and shorten some of those deadlines. You know, and it's all tremendous guesswork because, of course, with that, you've no idea. The further out you get with all these tasks, the bigger the lie you tell. But it, it's never stopped us. because The thing is about those waterfall projects is you start with this set of requirements that sound very sensible and you put it together in a plan and you can say we are going to go live on x date and so what you've got is this tremendous sort of certainty now it's actually an illusion but it's served you know it served its purpose we know it's an illusion because how many projects are delivered over budget and over time is because not because we're stupid it's because of course those requirements once we start digging into them some of them are a bit more complicated some of them aren't quite as necessary and we want to shift things around but that sort of certainty piece where you can actually articulate what are all the requirements I want right now, I think there's a lot less of that certainty around. I was working with an HR director a couple of weeks ago and she wanted to put together a leadership development program. And she said to me, I've, she said, I'm really struggling. I don't know where to get started. I, I, don't, I can't pull it together. And I said, well, I think it's very simple. What you would normally do is write this shopping list of all the different modules that you'd normally put your leaders through. But you're not really certain that they're all necessary. What you want is a more agile approach. You want to meet that uncertainty with a solution. And the solution is, why don't we try a one day workshop? where what we're going to do is explore some core concepts. And then as a result of that, you get the trainer to feed back and say, well, some of this stuff they already knew and very comfortable with. Some of these other pieces they really wanted to explore in more detail. And that tells you what maybe your next module should be. 
you're using live feedback to fill in the gaps of what comes next. I think that therefore meets that uncertainty. It stops the, the board of directors having to say in a great deal of detail, this is exactly what we want, when really they don't know because there are so many disruptors out there. There are so many unknowns out there that the fog only lifts when it's right, you know, you're right in the middle of it. So I think for me, waterfall sort of projects, waterfall approach, those all the requirements up front, increasingly in, in all the businesses I work for, that's becoming a very, very small part of what we do because actually we're not that clear. But what we are doing is picking up the pace by saying, let's pick up and run with one thing and see what happens. So my HR director, she's booked in everybody's diary, a one day off site, and she's got some core concepts that they're going to explore. The next modules, well, she's going to be talking about those, but not until after the offsite when she's worked out what are the top priorities for that leadership team, having seen them in action. So as a classic agile approach for a non-IT type of project, but I think we can all see the sense in it. And I think there is something fundamentally common sense about an agile approach that I think is really, really people are picking up and running with now. Yeah, it, and I think that as you talk about that, I keep thinking about how you're mitigating risk for expectation management around, you know, the momentum and the credibility of the project uh, as as time goes on. And that just seems to make a lot of sense to me, you know, that you're actually fine-tuning in short order uh, what the outcomes will be. So can you say a little bit about expectation management risk and how that works with with agile yeah i think i think although everything i've said sounds incredibly sensible there is quite a challenge out there and i think it's as how we behave as human beings and and how we actually get the what we need to deliver with agile what we need is the bigger picture what is it that you're trying to achieve and getting that HR director to sit down and go, what is it that you want your leaders to be mm -hmm. is actually a much harder conversation than her sitting down and writing down a list of the key sort of leadership trainings that they would normally go on. Because if you think about going to the supermarket, you think about writing a list and say, oh, I want some chicken and I want some broccoli and I want some eggs and I want some cheese. You don't sit down and think, hmm, what I want is a nutritionally balanced, uh, low calorie, sustainable production food. We don't talk in the bigger concept, do we? Mm -hmm. We write down a shopping list because it's so that's how we and our, our, our human brains work. Uh, we work in that sort of quite pragmatic way. But what we're asking people to do in Agile is to look at the bigger picture and say, look, what's the end game here? tell you what we're going to pick the first step see how far that takes us on the journey to the end game and then we'll look at what we think the next sensible step would be so that's how agile works and the biggest issue is about first of all getting that conversation facilitated because it's not easy and i don't want people to think it's easy because I, I think you it's a as a 
project manager and a change manager from the waterfall world, I look back now and think, gosh, that was so much simpler because I used to get that shopping list. And, and really, my job was to knit it all together, go live once and then worry about all of the implications for change and, mm -hmm. and making people move from one way to another just the once. Now I've got I've, I've got a very different conversation I've got to have and you've got to tease it out of your sponsor. Yeah, no, seriously, what's the what's the end game here? What's the bigger picture? And then you've got to convince them that actually this idea of, well, that's what we're going to deliver. Um, let's put some constraints around it to make you feel more comfortable. How long have we got? I mean, when would it become serious if we haven't done this leadership development? You're a bit worried that they're not great leaders at the moment. Mm, let's make sure that let's set ourselves six months as a deadline to start really seeing some differences, shall we? So that will make you feel more comfortable. That'll help manage the risk, because what I'm selling in Agile is I'm not going to tell you every single thing I'm going to do for you right now. That's right. <laughs> We're going to find it out. So I think with the bigger picture conversation, you've got to have that bigger picture conversation and then put con sensible constraints that reduce the risk and calm people down. So the first thing I want to talk about is, seriously, how long have we got? Oh, you're worried about a, a competitor going live on something? When's that likely to happen? The next four months? Well, let's make sure then that we set ourselves a deadline of getting something out there in the next four months. Can't tell you what that's going to be. And it might be quite a skinny version of what you're hoping for. But we will definitely commit to getting something out there in the next four months. So again, get the time frame that is relevant for that client. And I have to be honest, increasingly, I look at these conversations, and I can see a pattern. I can see a pattern of three to six months is the absolute maximum yeah. that people are saying, I, I want to see a difference. And, and they're not waiting. They don't want these one to two year programs anymore, because I think without articulating it, people realize that they probably won't be in their job in the next one to two years. Either they will have left for a promotion or they would have been asked to leave. But there's mm. two there's a lot of short termism in the, the corporate world uh, and there's a lot of people changing jobs all the time. So they want to make a difference before they go on to the next one. So I'm not surprised by the three to six months, but it's what you then have to do is sort of fit what you're trying to achieve within within that time frame. So don't over promise. And I think the other thing is very sensibly ask this big idea that you want, I mean, what big, what difference will having effective leaders make for you? So I asked the HR director, and I also say, so how much do you really want to invest in it? Let's put some, let's put some constraints. Instead of me going away and telling you, these are all the modules I'm going to deliver and this is how much it's going to cost. Let's step back for a moment and let's try and really value what it is you're trying to create, which again, they haven't really looked at. And, and you'd think I was asking brand new questions when we do mm. this, but... It is those, it's putting those constraints around the end goal before you get started gives, you know, reduces risk because what you're doing is you are providing that I'm going to give you a solution to this problem, but we've sized the problem, we've dated the problem, we've valued the problem, and I'm going to work within those constraints, therefore. And I think that's what, if you want to reduce the risk of, and the view, well, you're going to do a load of stuff, but you're not going to tell me what you're going to do. Why would I hire you? You know, well, because I'm going to make a difference. And by the way, I'm going to make a difference regularly. 
So mm -hmm. I'm going to do you your first leadership workshop. Then I'm going to do some targeted work on the leaders that seem to need it most. And I'm going to target on the things that they're struggling with the most. So I'm, I'm promising a very targeted and very focused approach. I'm promising to prioritize and that I will do the most valuable, the most relevant things first. But that, of course, all sounds good, but you haven't got a detailed plan that you're sharing with them. So I think, again, make sure that you've got some constraints. And then if somebody gives me, I don't know, four or five months to do something, I will, as a minimum, I will break that into monthly sort of increments. And I will say, right, this is what this is the difference I want to make for you at the end of the first month. Not sure how I'm going to do it yet, because there's a whole range of things I could do for you. But let's talk about the difference I'm going to make in the first month, the difference I'm going to make in the second month, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm not constraining myself in this agile world to how I will do it for you. But what I am definitely promising is that I will make a difference. And this is the improvement I'm going to offer you. So, again, it's a very different way of talking and thinking. And when I'm running workshops, you you can see the exquisite pain on um, people's <laughs> faces when you're trying to get them to 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 go to the end goal. And then I'm saying, right, look at that. And then let's see what are the big steps towards it. Let's see what the big differences are that you want to do. If you'd like another worked example, I mean, I've was talking to an executive about the fact that he was very concerned that they were struggling to hire people. They were in the public sector, um, so they don't pay hugely. And he was very concerned that there were very long gaps between advertising a role and getting somebody in. They were paying a lot of recruitment agencies a lot of money and that they were struggling to get their productivity up because they had these big gaps when they had, didn't have staff on board. And he was getting very, very angry and he was giving me a list of things I needed to do about improving the number of people that we hired things. And I just stepped back and said, what, what do you really want out of this? Let's look at the bigger picture for a moment. And, and actually, when we talked about it, he started using phrases like, I, I want to be an employer of choice. And I said, OK, what does that mean to you? Well, I want people to start sort of wanting to, to, to work here. So I want them sort of sending in their resumes on spec. Um, I want them sort of, you know, begging to work here. That's the end, end goal. OK, I can see where you're heading. Let's improve, therefore, the experience that our potential candidates are getting, because I think that's going to improve the rate at which we land people to work here. But it's also going to improve the reputation, which will tie in with that end goal that you're talking about. So we none of this is revolutionary. But one of the things we did was we started advertising, interviewing on Skype and we started making offers on the same day that we'd done those interviews, as opposed to writing a letter that would go out a couple of weeks later, by which time that candidate had taken a job elsewhere with an employer who was faster than we were. So I was delivering real value very early on, but I was keeping on board this. Actually, what you want is a better reputation in the marketplace and you want to be aspirationally somewhere that people want to work. There's a whole load of things we can do about that. But I'm going to do some quite tactical stuff up front that's going to reduce your risk, make you feel comfortable that this agile thing that we're doing it is actually a good idea. And, and from that, building up his trust as the CEO that 
I was doing a, a good thing, a useful thing. And then he was giving me the permission, if you like, to do some some really quite innovative things about actually moving to um, issuing contracts uh, through sort of social media and email, as opposed to big, heavy employment contracts going out in the post and having to be signed and sent back, particularly if you're hiring millennials who have no experience of opening envelopes and wouldn't know a pen if it came up and bit them. (laughs) So true. So we, you know, let's do things that are, are relevant. So I, there's a theme here around doing in Agile, as soon as you can, you do the most useful thing, not mm-hmm. the most logical thing. And maybe that's something in Waterfall that you have to start from the very first step and you do step one, two, three, four and five. Whereas in Agile, you might pull out step three because it's the most useful one. And we'll start with that. Then we'll do step seven. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. but it's because it's the most relevant and useful at that point. Well, you know, those examples that you gave were uh, really relevant because seeing and well, hearing them outside the realm of specific change management work helps to give a construct for how to think about it agile in terms of change management. Could you help us understand what agile change management actually is? Well, I think a lot of the thought leaders I work with would say that change managers have always been agile because we've always helped people nudge towards it. Mm -hmm. But I think if we keep it simple, agile change management is the partnering of the the change management in the same sort of frequency and regularity that the delivery, the agile delivery is. So when the example I've just given that we are saying, right, we're going to do Skype interviews. Therefore, my change management, my behavioral change activities, I need to persuade managers. I need to train them, encourage them, persuade them to start doing interviews on Skype. I need to do a lot of handholding for people who perhaps don't usually do Skype. They are used to going into an interview room. So I concentrate all of my change management activities and all of my persuasion on just that activity because that's the one that's in play at the moment. Next, we might move to issuing employment contracts in um, an email form and doing online document signing. Right, now I need to work with the change with a different group of people because now I'm going to have to persuade the in-house lawyers to change their ways of working and their processes. And that might require a whole different set of change management activities, which is around getting them to review their processes, change the steps in their processes, get, uh, you know, and go through maybe several governance hoops. So probably less training because in Skype we needed to learn an activity. But in the, the legal sense, what we need to do is redraft the contracts and get those through approval that are suitable for online. So I'm working with a different group to achieve a different change. Again, another short term you know, change, implementing it quite quickly. So I've got the project team who are sort of doing the, the, the structuring of, of all of these changes. And I've got the change managers who are targeting their behavioral change support at the people that are being asked to change at that moment in time. So month one might be managers who are interviewing, month two might be the lawyers. And then in month three, we've decided we're going to do some kind of new online induction program. I'm starting to work with HR uh, to get them to change how they induct people and onboard people into the organization. So we've got a whole load of change activities there. So I think it's 
that's what we're doing is we're partnering with that more agile delivery. We're, be, we're doing agile change. So it sounds very clear to me that with this agile change management, it's almost the analogy of having a quiver with various change management arrows in it that you can pull out and target onto the behavioral change that's needed. But what I've noticed is some of the methodologies, if not most of them, out there are really programmatic changes and they're based on the change acceptance curve of a stakeholder. How do you see agile change management impacting programmatic change and the change acceptance curve when you're doing things in such short-term pieces of work? Well, I think if we look at William Bridges, who talks about the endings, neutral zone and new beginnings, or we talk about Kubler-Ross, who's talking about shock, denial, anger, bargaining, depression. Yeah. I think the thing is, I don't think those change personally. I just think that they speed up. And uh-huh. I think what you've got to do, I've got this diagram that I use, which is that I've, I've drawn the, the transition curve, the, the old Kubler-Ross, you know, there's a dip uh-huh. and then it comes out the other side. But I overlay one curve on top of the next, the next, the next with a tiny little time delay. And I sort of because I want people to recognize therefore that actually in this more agile world I don't think some of our steps change that much but we have to do them faster and we have to recognize that when I'm trying to talk to you about doing interviews via Skype which sounds relatively straightforward you're in a state of flux you're in the neutral zone with about 500 other changes that have also come so on any given day we're talking to people who are in a very unsettled state Mm-hmm. And that therefore recognizing that actually they're in that sort of in between stage um, with lots of other changes. Um, and now we're just landing yet another one on their shoulders. So I think one of the key skills as change managers in this more agile world is your ability to knit things together into that kind of interdependency so that people understand look, I'm not taking off at a tangent again that this change that I'm helping you do actually has a, a supportive effect for the other changes you've been making happen. Mm-hmm. So how, it, as a change manager, you have to be incredibly aware of all the changes that are happening to the people that you're trying to support. You, ha- We've always talked about being empathetic, but now it's empathy with well-informed empathy perhaps because what you've got to dig into is what is the portfolio of of all the changes that are happening where's the heat map of those changes you need to use things like portfolio management and heat mapping to keep a track and I recognize that these changes aren't mine but I've got to go the extra mile and keep myself informed of what those other changes are because that is the experience that the people I want to work with are having and I am just if I don't do that and if I don't put it knit it together then I become part of the problem not part of the solution because I'll just overwhelm them. Right and you know it comes back to what you were saying Melanie about agile as a mindset right helping people provide the big picture and then extracting the outcomes that they're really looking for and here you're doing it with change from a portfolio perspective and then helping them understand the impacts and how they relate to each other. 
Yeah, I'm, I think certainly when I'm perhaps workshopping, let's say in the example I've given, I'm workshopping the with HR, the change in how they're going to be onboarding new members of staff. Um, I will also sort of widen out that workshop scope to look at all the other changes that they're currently making to perhaps their learning and development offering, what HR business partners are advising the business at the moment, what systems we're using for time recording uh, and how they might be changing so knitting it all to getting them to see that it's part of a bigger pattern gives them the reassurance that actually this isn't just an extra thing it's actually part of a, a picture that we already know about wow well we're almost out of time and i just want to thank you for bringing such rigor to the conceptual understanding of agile and agile change management as well as the tactics I'm very um, grateful for all the tactics that you've woven in through your examples. I've, I'm finding this to be quite a valuable conversation and I'm, I'm very excited to share it with the subscribers to Change Management Review. So thank you very much for your time. Well, it's excellent um, because I'm doing the, the webinar for you in a couple of weeks. Um, yes. I'll actually be able on the slides. I'm going to give more tactics. I'm going to give more techniques from the world of agile IT development, actually, because I've had a lot of success in using some of the agile techniques to, to put into running change, running multiple changes. So I think it'll be easier for everybody to see those on the slides as well. So um, hopefully they'll tune in for that. Yeah, I'm very excited. I'm going I'm going to really encourage my team and the subscribers to come on the 13th of September to your webinar and you know just really appreciate you taking the time to partner with us on sharing this information so I will definitely let you go and talk to you in the near future thank you very much we hope you've enjoyed listening to today's podcast with Teresa Moulton of Change Management Review and Melanie Franklin, the co-chair of Change Management Institute UK and the director of Agile Change Management. Be sure to check out our website at changemanagementreview.com. We also invite you to follow us on Facebook and Twitter and join us on LinkedIn. Thanks for listening.